At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. On September 6, 2018, a story many of you have read and remember, Amber Geiger, the off-duty police officer in Dallas, walked into the home of Botham Jean and fatally shot him. She said that she thought she was walking into her own apartment and that she shot Botham because she thought he was a, a burglar. After a long trial, she was finally sentenced to 10 years in prison. But during sentencing, Botham Jean's youngest brother, Brandt, asked to speak. And as he gave his witness statement, he addressed his comments to Geiger, and he explained that he didn't wish her any harm. In in fact, he forgave her, and he pointed her to Christ. He asked the judge for permission to approach Geiger and give her a hug, and the judge granted that, and that courtroom was filled with tears, even the judge wiping tears from her, her eyes. How is that possible? How is it possible that a person who has hurt us so badly, who has wounded us so deeply, can have forgiveness extended to them? That story caused me to ask myself the question, could I do that? If I was hurt so badly, could I extend that kind of forgiveness? Have you wrestled with forgiveness? Have you wrestled with extending forgiveness to the people who have hurt you, harmed you, used you, or fill in the blank? How is it that we are talking about forgiveness today? It's because Jesus is talking about forgiveness. As we come to the last sermon in our message series called Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, Jesus ends Matthew chapter 18 with a conversation around forgiveness. And we've been studying Matthew chapter 18 and watching Jesus explain to his disciples and to us what it means to be part of his kingdom and how we who are disciples of the kingdom of God, how we are to relate to one another. And last week we saw that if we have brothers or sisters who have hurt us, what we are to do, we are to take other brothers and sisters and go to them to address that hurt. But today, we see the topic of forgiveness. You know, today the culture tells us that if we disagree with someone or something, we just cancel them. Somehow that's supposed to work but it just leaves us more deeply wounded. And yet the way of Jesus, which is a better way, leads to a much better result, and that is peace. And so as Jesus has been talking about the way we are to behave in the kingdom of God and how we are to address hurt 
in the kingdom of God. Peter, I love Peter because he's always asking the question that's on top of my mind. And he asks a question in Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21. He asks this question. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Great question. Peter's being really generous. Because you see, in the Jewish rabbinical teaching of the day, you only had to forgive three. Three strikes and you're out. And Peter, knowing the character of Jesus, knowing the love of Jesus, more than doubles that and says, not three, but seven times. Jesus, is seven enough? Great question. Don't you wish Jesus had just said yes? (laughs) Sure, that's enough. But what does Jesus say in the next verse? He says... I do not say to you 70 to- seven times, but 77 times. Is Jesus saying, keep an Excel sheet and start to track. That's that 75, that 76. Be careful, you're almost there because after I get to 77, you're out. No more forgiveness. Is, is that what Jesus is saying? That was an easy qu- answer, guys. No, that's not what, Jesus is saying, stop counting. If you're in a relationship and you're counting, you're already losing. It's not about the number. What Jesus is saying is forgiveness is a matter of the heart. And we should be unlimited and extravagant in our forgiveness. And so in order to drive that point home, Jesus tells them a story. He gives them a parable. And we're going to look at the parable, the parable about the unforgiven servant or the the servant who can't forgive And as we look at that story, we're going to learn that God's family forgives as they have been forgiven. God's family forgives as they have been forgiven. And the question we have to wrestle with this morning as we look through this parable is, why is forgiveness necessary? There are two reasons from this parable I'd like to draw your attention to. And the first, forgiveness is necessary because we have been forgiven much. Because we have been forgiven much. I'm in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. A talent was the largest monetary currency in the Roman Empire. And 10,000 talents was like the biggest amount of money they could conceive of in the ancient culture. It would be the equivalent of us saying that I owe you zillions of dollars. It's uncountable, it's unthinkable, it's huge, it's astronomical. It would take the average worker 20 years, 20 years to make one talent. New Testament scholar Daniel Brock estimates that the average, it would take the average worker 275,000 lifetimes to repay back this debt. 275,000 lifetimes. This is a huge debt. It's incalculable. 
It's ridiculously huge. And this man cannot repay. And so the king orders that he be sold into debtor slavery. Him, his wife, his family, they're sold into debtor slavery until payment can be made. In the culture of the day, if you couldn't repay your debt, you were sold into slavery so that you could earn money to pay back the debt. But this is an enormous debt. And yet the servant, what does he say? He begs the king, have patience with me and I will repay. Really, dude? (laughs) Do you have any idea how big your debt is? You have no clue. But the king does. The king knows exactly how much money the servant owes. And you would expect the king to do something, maybe renegotiate the contract, maybe give him more time, maybe put him on a payment plan, do something. But what the king does next is totally unexpected, isn't it? Because that's not what the king does. The king forgives the debt. He has compassion on the servant and forgives the debt. This isn't a couple of hundred bucks. This is an astronomical amount of money. And yet the king sees the misfortune of this servant and the overwhelming debt that he can't repay in hundreds of thousands of lifetimes and he forgives the debt. Gone, eliminated, released. Now just keep in mind, the king is still out 10,000 talents. That money has to come out of the king's coffer. It's going to cost the king something for forgiving this servant this debt. It's not free for the king. It's free for the servant. Now, just to to make sure we're all level set, in this story, the king is God. And the servant? That's you and me. You and I are the ones that have the incalculable debt. You see, every day that we live on this earth, we incur death. The Bible uses debt as a representation of sin. Debt equals sin, and sin equals debt. Like, you may be sitting here thinking, "Um, but I'm a pretty good guy. I don't incur a whole bunch of debt. In fact, I think I'm a pretty good guy. If you saw who was sitting next to me at the dinner table at Thanksgiving, you too would think I'm a pretty good guy. The only problem with that is when God looks at us, he isn't comparing you to somebody else in this room or at the dinner table. He's comparing us to himself. God is perfect and he compares us to his perfection. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory or the perfection of God. All of us have incurred a debt that we can't pay. We couldn't pay it back even if we had hundreds of thousands of lifetimes. It's too big, it's too great, it's too huge. We didn't need more time. We didn't need to renegotiate a contract. What we needed was someone to step into our lives and to cover the debt. And that's exactly what we received in Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless Son of God, came into this world and he died on the cross. Not because he's guilty. Because I'm guilty, you're guilty. It's our debt. We owed it. We couldn't pay it. But Jesus could. He came and he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin that you and I couldn't pay, dying the death that we should have died. Jesus came lovingly, knowing that his coming would result in death. 
because he loved you and he loved me. Friends, have your sins been forgiven? Incalculable, astronomical, all of us under the weight of that sin, and yet Jesus offers that forgiveness to each and every one of us. Has your sins been forgiven? If not, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ by faith, won't you accept him today? Today would be a great day to come to know Jesus Christ by faith, just by saying, Lord, I, 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 I'm sorry. Sorry for the things I've done. Won't you forgive me and won't you become savior of my life? And Jesus offers you forgiveness of your sins, eliminated because of his death on the cross. We forgive because we have been forgiven much, amen? That's one of the reasons why we forgive. But the second reason why we forgive is this, because forgiveness is the way of the kingdom. Forgiveness <clears throat> is the way of the kingdom. In verse number 28, Jesus goes on to tell us the rest of the story. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. He began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The servant who owed this enormous debt, this incalculable amount of money, has just had it forgiven, wiped out just like that. And now he's just skipping. He's skipping right out of the king's presence. Why? The weight of the, weight of the debt is gone. He's free. He's clear. The pressure of having to pay it back, it's gone. It's been removed. He turns the corner and he sees another guy who owes him, what does the Bible say? How much? A hundred denarii. A denar denarius was one day's wage. So a hundred denarius is just over three months worth of work. Three months, just over. Just put in perspective. It takes 6,000 denarii to make one talent. Which means the first servant was forgiven 60 million denarii. That's 60 million denarii in debt, forgiven just like that. And he turns the corner and he sees a guy that owes him a hundred denarii. That's not even a drop in the bucket, is it? And yet, you would expect that this servant would have compassion, that he would be gracious, that he would extend the same grace and mercy he received to this other servant. But that's not what happens, is it? You find that he grabs him, chokes him, and demands repayment of the debt. Chokes him. Pay me what you owe. Now, let's just be clear. That servant is legally in the right. He has every right to demand that hundred denarii be repaid to him. I mean, that's a lot of money. It's not minuscule to the servant. It's still something owed. It, it, he's in his right to demand payment. But morally speaking, was that right? Not at all, was it? In fact, the second servant says to him the exact same words that the first servant used before the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you. You know, those words should have triggered in his mind, what happened before the king, because those are the exact same words he used. 
Those words should have stirred up some emotion. It just should have stirred up some mercy in his heart about what the king did for him that he could now do to this man. But that's not what happens, is it? He chokes him, and because this man can't pay, in verse number 30, he throws the man in prison. Now, I want you to understand, it's not debtor slavery. It's prison. Had this man sold a second servant into slavery, there was at least some way, three and a half months later, to have made up the debt, right? That's not where he sends him, is it? He sends him to prison. How much money do you make in prison, at least in the ancient world? Nothing. You don't make anything in prison. In essence, this servant has put that second servant in an impossible situation to ever repay this debt. There is no way this second servant is ever going to repay this debt. Friends, that's really sad because that's exactly what happens when you and I harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. We put the offender in an impossible situation to ever have a way to repay. And that's tragic. But the story continues in verse number 31. The heartbreaking event is witnessed. Notice Jesus continues in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. <clears throat> then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Just a, a note of translation, the word jailers is better translated torturers. But the key verse is verse 33. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant <clears throat> as I had mercy on you. This second debt is nothing in comparison to this massive, ugly, horrendous debt that the first servant owed. This was nothing. Shouldn't this servant have shown mercy and grace, the same mercy and grace he received from the king? The answer is yes, absolutely. But he doesn't but he doesn't. If the king could forgive this enormous debt, shouldn't he have forgiven this tiny debt? And yet that's what you and I have to wrestle with. When God has forgiven us so much, how is it that we can continue to harbor unforgiveness in our heart for the little things done against us? And the king in the story throws this man into the torturers until he should pay his debt. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But Jesus, in verse 35, closes the parable with these words, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is Jesus preaching a workspace salvation theory here? Is that what he's doing? Is forgiveness tied to my salvation? Is the fact that I don't forgive mean that I can lose my salvation? Is that what Jesus is saying? It's not a trick question. No! That's not what Jesus is saying. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He said, there is no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. That being doesn't exist. 
Christians forgive. We forgive because we have been transformed by the power of the gospel. The last point of my church's vision statement is lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And Jesus readily endorses that. If the gospel of forgiveness gets in you, it comes out of you. It brings the fruit of relational transformation. In other words, if you and I have stood under the enormous waterfall of God's grace and our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and we've experienced that grace, then it naturally works itself out that it comes out of us. Grace in means grace out. Does that make sense? Because it makes sense to me. <laughs> I'm hoping it makes sense to you. <clears throat> so then what does Jesus mean here? Well, it can mean one of two things. I think both are true. If we cannot forgive, and we're harboring unforgiveness in our heart, then is it possible that we haven't experienced the forgiveness of our sins? If those who are forgiven forgive, is it possible I'm not forgiven? Is it possible I'm not in the kingdom? Is it possible my sins aren't forgiven and I've been faking it all this time? It's possible. It's also possible, secondly, that when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, that we trap ourselves in a prison of our own making. That our constant companions become resentment, bitterness, and anger. And we're doomed to relive in that prison that event over and over and over again, day after day after day. And that event, that hurt, chokes the very life and light right out of us. So how do we forgive? How do we forgive? Let me start by saying a couple of words about what forgiveness is not. These are not unique to me. These are pulled from various sources. But here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting. You've heard it said, forgive and forget, right? Hat, right? Does it work? Doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. Forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting. Forgiveness is not condoning or excusing the hurt. Don't treat the hurt as if though it's no big deal. Of course it's a big deal. I was hurt by it. Don't minimize it. Forgiveness doesn't mean laying down and becoming somebody else's doormat. Jesus never tells us to be somebody's doormat where they step on us over and over and over again. Never once. Forgiveness doesn't mean tolerating or allowing further abuses. Statistically speaking, there are some of you sitting here in this room listening to me who are experiencing physical, emotional, or sexual abuse right now. You're going through that. And Jesus says those people who are doing that to us deserve forgiveness, but that is not your first priority. Your first priority is to get to safety. Your first priority is to go talk to someone who can take you to safety and who can show you the love of Jesus and help you start the difficult process of forgiveness. If you're here today and you're experiencing that kind of abuse, 
please stop. Find safety. I'd love to talk to you. Pastor Billy would love to talk to you. Pastor Brad would love to talk to you. Kristen is here. She'd love to talk to you. We would love to get you to safety and share with you the love of Jesus. You are not called to stay under the weight of that abuse. Forgiveness is also, doesn't, also, doesn't mean reconciliation or restoration. We saw last week in Matthew chapter 18 what it looks like when a brother or sister hurts us. We're supposed to take other believers with us and to go back to address the hurt with the purpose of reconciliation. But reconciliation is a two-way street. It takes two people to come together in humbleness to own up to the wrong or the hurt and to forgive each other. It takes two. But what if... But what if the person that wronged you has passed away? What if that person has moved far away? What if that person that hurt you, it's too dangerous for you to be around? Or they don't own up to that hurt? What do you do then? Well, while reconciliation is a two-way street, forgiveness is, just takes one. Forgiveness is my responsibility. See, forgiveness starts in the heart. That's what Jesus said. I can't control what the other person thinks or how they act. I can't force that other person to apologize and to own up for what they've done. What I can control is me. And so forgiveness starts with me. There are times where I cannot reconcile, but I'm still called to forgive. Finally, Forgiveness doesn't mean that you reestablish trust. You may never be best friends again. You may never have a healthy relationship with that person again. In fact, you may see them at the store and you'll turn around and you'll find another aisle to go down. Or you'll see them at church and you'll try to find another corner to sit in because that weight of pain is so great. What do you do? When you can't forgive. You see, God's family forgives as they haven't been forgiven because we have been forgiven much and because the kingdom of God demands that we forgive. But those are so easy to say but hard to do. What do we do when we are left with hurt and pain and wounds and scars? Friends, we can't do forgiveness on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us because I know I can't do it on, a, on my own self. See, whenever I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart, the only solution to that is to go back to the cross. Somewhere here I had something. You see, when I think of forgiveness, the first thing I have to recognize is that my sin has been nailed to the cross. You agree with that? How many of you are glad your sins are nailed to the cross? Amen. Ten of you. Well, this is going to hurt. Ready? Not only is my sin nailed to the cross, so is their sin. If they're a believer in Christ, their sin is also nailed to the cross. Is it right then for me to come to the cross and say, Jesus, I know you've forgiven them, but nah, I don't think so. I disagree. 
I don't think they deserve it. Is that right? Are you sure? Are you sure you have no unforgiveness in your heart? Because <laughs> that's what it feels like. No, Jesus, I disagree. I don't think so. That's what we're doing when we harbor unforgiveness. And yet the truth is their sin is nailed to the cross. And yet what I find in my own life is that I have people who have hurt me, who've harmed me. And every day I'll go to the cross and I'll say, Lord Jesus, I'm hurt, I feel pain, but I forgive them. And I'll go to bed. And what happens is the next morning I get up, I go back to the cross and I go, you know what, I got it, Lord. I got it. It's all right. And that night I go back and I go, Lord, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Help me to forgive. And the next morning I do it again. I take that hurt right off the cross and I put it back. And I go, I got it. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to just seethe here. And every day I have this pattern. I put it on, I take it off. I put it on and I take it off. And I put it on and I take it off. And there it goes. And we keep having this cycle where we have this love-hate relationship where we say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'll take it back. I'm sorry, I'll take it back. But what's the answer to that? It's still the cross. You go back to the cross over and over again and you stick it and you stick it and you stick it until it sticks there for good. And you say, thank you, Jesus. This is not a flash in the pan answer to how to forgive. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes work. It may take years of work. But if you stick with it, it will stick. Because our God is a holy God. Amen? Our God is a holy God. But some of you are listening to me. And you've been hurt. And you've been through decades of abuse by a family member or a parent and you're insulted that I would even use a post-it note. Like, your hurt doesn't fit on a post-it note. Pastor, how dare you? You have no idea what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. He does. He does. What do you do with that kind of pain? Pain that is so deep, so harsh, so messed up, so horrible, so unexplainable, Nothing that you deserved. What do you do when you have that kind of hurt that causes you to say, Lord, I can't, I can't do it. I can't forgive. It hurts. You remember your sin. And you remember that your sin is nailed to the cross. And so is their sin. And as hard as that is to admit, that's true. And we go back to the cross and we fall flat on our face and we say, Lord, the pain is great. The hurt is real. The scars are deep. But won't you help me forgive? Friends, the only way we're ever going to be released from the weight and the burden of the abuse and the hurt that we've experienced in our life is at the foot of the cross. There's no better place to be than here. There's no solution that man has than at the foot of the cross. It's only at the foot of the cross where the weight of our sins is released and so is our hurt and our pain. And when we truly understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, the weight is released and that allows us to release that person from the bondage of their hurt 
to us. Now what happens if they never ask for forgiveness? What if they don't own up to it? What if they don't recognize the hurt and say sorry? What if they don't apologize? Do I still have to forgive? Yeah, we do. Why? Because Jesus showed us the way. You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? He had been nailed to that cross. And people are standing around mocking him. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They're murdering him in real time. He's dying. His blood is being shed. And yet he says, Father, forgive them. How can Jesus do that? Jesus doesn't want the vengeance. He turns justice over to God and entrusts his heart, his life, his body to his Father. You know why? Because forgiveness is not earned. It's granted. Forgiveness is not earned. It's granted. If you're here today and you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart, just know that there's no better place to be than at the foot of the cross. That no matter who has hurt you, when we recognize the weight of our sin that we have against a holy God, that should drive us to the foot of the cross to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, help me to forgive. You have forgiven me, so help me in turn forgive those who have hurt me. Father, Would you take these truths and drive them deep into our soul? It's not an easy message to preach, Lord, because you've beaten with me with this over the whole week. And yet my brothers and sisters, as they listen to this, Lord, it's not easy to hear. So would you do a work in our lives today to remind us of the depth of our sin that you have forgiven and to enable us through the power of your spirit to forgive those who have hurt us so deeply. Lord, we can't do that on our own, so won't you help us? We can't, but you can. We have no strength, but you have all the power. So won't you grant us that power today to look across the aisle and to say, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Those are hard words to say, and yet necessary. Help Help us to do that, just that, so that we who are part of your family can live our lives to the glory of the one who is worthy of it all. In Jesus' precious and matchless name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.